Fortune 500 companies trust Interoptic for optical transceivers and cables. Since 2004, Interoptic has provided high-performance optics and cables at a fraction of the cost of OEM gear. Interoptic products are 100% tested and backed up by real engineers. Work with the optics experts at Interoptic. Find out more at interoptic.com slash packetpushers. Could network automation be, be simple? I, uh, maybe I don't mean simple. Could network automation be predictable? Could it be standardized in approach company to company so that we're all doing it the same way? Our guest today is Ryan Shaw, and he thinks a network automation framework that would work for all of us is possible. Welcome to Heavy Networking. I am your host, Ethan Banks, and Drew Conry-Murray is with me. You can connect with us on LinkedIn and via the Packet Pushers community Slack. And joining uh, me and Drew and Ryan is David Sin. And David joined us for our discussion about network sources of truth back in episode 717. So Ryan and David, I'd appreciate if the two of you would quickly introduce yourselves to the audience, starting with you, Ryan. Hi, um, I'm Ryan and I am a network architect at Zscaler. Okay, nice to meet you. And uh, David Sin. Uh, yes, I'm David Sin. I work for the University of Washington. I'm in the network architecture team, uh, formerly with AWS and a couple of vendors and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I guess uh, you guys know each other, Ryan and David, because you worked together at AWS back in the day? Yes. Yeah, very good. Very good. All right, so I got a, I got a leading question to open us up with here, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, are we moving to a place in networking where changes can't be done by hand due to network complexity? That is, eventually we're going to have to automate any change that we make to the network. So I think no. I, I, I think... Uh, the issue is, is services are more critically relying on the underlying internet infrastructure. So it's more about a stability and reliability and, and, and feature growth that requires automation to, to meet those criteria. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd support that. I would say it's a spectrum. There are definitely networks that are extraordinarily complicated that without automation, it would not be able to be deployed very well. Um, but, you know, Ryan hit the, the nail on the head, which is this is really about stability, ensuring that the network is working the way that we intend it, um, and then allowing the engineers to focus on the high value work of designing the network, figuring out problems, things along those lines, which, you know, you remove the burden of, uh, you know, manual configuration and also just human mistakes. I'm curious if you see network complexity actually as a barrier to automation. I would say it definitely can be. I think people... Um, we as engineers like our nerd knobs, to use a, a classic phrase. Um, and so we potentially turn on more features because we feel that it allows us to more accurately meet the requirements of the network. So that definitely does happen. Yeah, definitely. I, I would view complexity as just a barrier to just generally handling your network today. You know, if you're going to operate it by hand or, or by automation, it's the same thing, just a better, you know, just the computer's taking the process that an engineer would. So the complexity is just going to complicate that and increase the time and reliability of that. So yeah, definitely. You guys both mentioned reliability, that that was a big concern here for automation. One of the things automation is going to bring to us is that the, if we automate it, it's everything's predictable. Therefore, uh, the human error is eliminated. Is that the reliability component you're getting at? So I think it just humans are limited in that degree of being able to you know, validate a network, you know, especially today's networks and stuff where there's, there's, there's more, there's more services on the network. There's more metrics that this get generated that you have to now check whether it is right or wrong. And, and so, you know, I, I can, I can count to, you know, 
I think a high number, but I can't count to like, you know, 800,000 metrics in, you know, a couple of minutes and go, yeah, that was the right set. Uh, so. Yeah. A asking a human being to parse text on whether the intended change that just went in actually is doing exactly the thing that you want um, on one system, let alone hundreds of systems, uh, th that's destined for uh, errors to be introduced and, and failures to happen. And so, you know, as Ryan hit earlier, like the criticality of networking today just, just, makes that not a good direction to go for for most networks. I'm sure there are very small networks that a human being can wrap their head around the entirety of it, um, but the vast majority of networks, uh, automation is definitely improving the availability. Yeah, it's funny you put it that way, um, the, the smaller networks. Back in the day, if I was working on a network and I had built each segment, each office that was tied to, say, a, say a mid-sized business with a bunch of remote offices here and there, you could kind of keep that all in your head. You kind of knew the address schemes. You knew the VLAN schemes. You probably standardized as best as you could office to office. And it was possible to keep it all in your head, especially if you did things same-same from facility to facility as best as you could. It's pretty hard to imagine that as you begin layering in security services and different authentication schemes and zero trust network access becomes part of what you're doing and you've got one or more overlays that you're contending with. Trying to keep it all in, in my head and remembering what's happening where and, oh, wait a minute, this policy here because this reason, it's, it's getting to the point it feels impossible to keep it all in your head really, even if you built it all. And if it's a network of size where there's a whole team of people, I mean, it's just, no, forget it. That's just unrealistic. Um, so another question, guys, the, there's an argument for artisanal network automation because everyone's network is different. So therefore we're going to automate things in our, in our own way, network to network. We couldn't possibly do it the same everywhere because all of our networks are different. Is, is that a valid argument? So I'm going to say not really, because I think networks are not as artisanal as a lot of people think. I, I think because... The trend for every network should be to be as simple, as boring as possible. And yes, there's giant networks, you know, cloud computing networks. We worked at AWS, you know, David and I, um, but those were actually really simple and boring because they just needed to be. Any sort of compl complexity that wasn't absolutely necessary was just could not scale, could not operate at the stability that we needed. And and so when that trend hits, that simplistic trends, uh, we see a lot of networks that, you know, if they share the same services are kind of homogenous. And I think that's just the benefit of everyone, because then we get to iterate, we get to improve the designs, we get to do better things than trying to jumble through a mess of VLANs and, and, and craziness. I guess I'm going to come at your question at a slightly different angle. I don't disagree with what Ryan just said, but I'm, gonna, I'm coming at it from a slightly different angle in that uh, akin to the uh, uh, Network Source of Truth podcast you had me on for a, a little while back, uh, mm -hmm. automation is a spectrum term. It is not a single specific term. And so part of the root of the question that you asked is complexity inside of the network. And some of that is the business logic of the network in question. The, the raw low level automation, the I need to bring up a link between two devices, I need to put IP addresses, I need to run a routing protocol, those sorts of things. Those are those are building block a bull, Lego a bull, um, uh, automation fundamentals that you could build together. Where it becomes tricky is how do you actually express the business logic of we're all doing the same thing slightly differently and I think I view things in this way and you view things in that way and our networks are embodied in that case. And so that's really the crux of the flexibility of the engine of automation. Can you give an example of uh, business logic complicating uh, a network? 
Yeah. So I guess where I would start is, um, you know, do you have a lot of VRFs in your network or are you one big flat routed network? Um, are you actually, are you a layer two dominated network versus a layer three dominated network? Do I generally have core routers that are bringing up all of my VLANs from all of my distributed campus resources and routing in the middle and everything is just sort of L2 at the edge? Um, or, you know, do I go distributed and every building on my campus has, um, you know, separate routers inside of it? And so, some of that is the business rules. Um, uh, do I have a VoIP VLAN separate from an accounting VLAN, separate from a you know uh, business uh, engineering VLAN? And how do I manage those th those differences and the policies and or what uh, policy devices are involved going through firewalls, IPSs, IDSs, and so so that's where the real variance is. They're all fairly fundamental components, but it's how you assemble them. So it sort of is the uh, I guess to car carry the Lego analogy, like there's a fundamental set of Lego bricks, but it's the instruction manual on what actual kit you end up with, but they're all basically built out of the same basic components. So Ryan, translate all of this as an introductory part of our conversation to your idea of a generalized automation framework. What What is that? And, and what's it look like at a high level? Yeah. So I think also just kind of adding to to David on, on that too as well is it, it is this kind of base set like you get this you know Lego set you get the car set or the the you know the magic castle set or the you know the the spaceship and then you can add things to that but the general thing is it's it's, it's a spaceship it's a car it's you know it's gonna have wheels it's gonna have the body it's gonna have the frames got the engine um so there's some like business logic and stuff but how you use those blocks may be a little bit different but the overall arching kind of design is is the same and that's why i want to tackle is that design like can we make this car design public and can we make it you know simplistic and it works for a lot of people so we can then iterate and improve upon it um if everyone's building their own cars like yeah they might have cool engine tweaks or you know you know uh, awesome flaming decals um but you know how can we make the car the base car uh modules and work so the open compute project's done some work in, uh, in, I guess not in the network automation framework area specifically, but certainly what you had just described reminded me of what uh, OCP does. Is it related to that in some way? Um, kind of, sort of. Uh, this is where I kind of got into like NAF with the network automation forum is is kind of using that as a vehicle uh, to build a vehicle. <laughs> um uh of just trying to get this uh consensus of you know people's expertise and experience in and to get this kind of forum that people can view and stuff so yeah so pretty similar in a way so then so then give us um some ideas of what this framework would would consist of when we think of framework like if i'm an engineer and i want to use your framework what am i looking at is it a document that guides me how to build an automation pipeline what, what is this thing yeah so so i wanted to first start is a document um that details kind of all the big pieces that an automation framework for deployment uh, would would use. Um, so instead of just, you know, people building off like the one block that they get and then trying to expand upon and not knowing the end state, trying to trying to detail that end state. Some people can work backwards from that end state and, and find the pieces that fit or are missing or that works for them. Um, so not exactly, a you know, uh, here's a detailed solution because every people might have different tools, different languages that they want to use, but more of here's the building blocks that would take to build this, you know, this solution. So are you proposing 
different frameworks for different outcomes. If we use the Lego model, a framework for the car version, a framework for the spaceship version, a framework for the castle version, or can this framework be applied regardless of the endpoint product? So the initial framework is trying to be pretty, uh, pretty flexible. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, there probably will be frameworks for a car, or a spaceship or a castle. Um, I'm liking this Lego trend. <laughs> uh, um, you know, that, that fits the, you know, the, the company and the customers and the clients the, the best. But I, I think, you know, to start with, we can use a car that can generally do lots of things that people need and, and, you know, networks and customers need. So I think start with that, make it very flexible. And then as iterations get through and more, you know, experience and expertise molds this, maybe, maybe we get to different versions. And so you mentioned sort of starting with the document, is this document kind of outlining principles? Is it discussing tools, processes, what, what's, what's inside the document? Uh, principles and processes with uh, some some light touch on on tools because I don't want it to be restrictive to any tools and also don't want to have to you know anyone NDAs or anything like that to go here's how I absolutely did it more kind of principles and processes to guide um, like you know the general like okay here's how you would here's her some ways to validate the network you know pre and post deployment here's the configuration you know lifecycle that you could use to push, you know, different versions of the configuration that you want. So those practices that have worked well, uh, you know, a lot of practices that people may not be aware of, like, okay, I built this deployment thing. Oh, I have to worry about scheduling and clashing and, and all these things that work with a distributed system. So bits and pieces like that. So the obvious and hopefully the not so obvious that people go, oh, okay, I would have fallen that pitfall. So you're not saying like uh, use GitHub and structure your repository in this way for your infrastructure as code stances. You're not being that detailed, but you're saying maybe something that's a little more abstract. Use a code repository and you should be expressing your infrastructure as code. And here's some guidelines. Definitely. I don't want the people to go, hey, you need to learn this language or you need to, you know, if it's in JSON, no, scrap it, put it in YAML or, you know, or use this tool. I, I want people to go, yeah, you should use, you know, uh, you know, you should maybe use a, you know, markup language or I know YAML may not be yet another markup language, but use something like that. Like, you know, use JSON or YAML or whatever, or Pickle, <laughs> the, new, the new thing come out. Um, yes. But yeah, not trying to be too prescriptive that it, you know, it's forces someone to go, okay, but use what you're comfortable with and use what your expertise has. Talk to us about life cycle, uh, Ryan. I think you mentioned that along the way, that there'd be there'd be a life cycle here. Help help me as an engineer, like walk, if I'm used to configuring things by hand, I'm trying to get my head around automation and I want to do it right by using your framework. You know, and I'm thinking in terms of, ah, I typically type this stuff out by hand or, or me and my team do and how would I, how would that be expressed? You know, this notion of life cycle in your framework? Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's, it's trying to, uh, my life cycle just follows the kind of the traditional process that you get from, you know, you find that you have the design, which could be in the, you know, in the, in the templates and configuration managements, you know, and then you actually have to build it. You add the variables and templates to that configuration management, do all the code reviews, make sure it's all good. And then it's time to actually, you know, uh, scale or push or deploy. Um, and then what are all the steps to deploy that? And then finally operate, you know, how do we operate that? Um, and it's kind of follows that kind of traditional uh, process because, you know, it, it resonates with a lot of us and, and, and it's easy to, to kind of, okay, if it's a process that's well known, we can kind of just iterate on it. I'd rather not try and 
revolutionize the processes more than iterate kind of what we, we do today, whether that be manual or automated. What I'm hearing you say sounds a lot of a lot like what I hear on the developer side of the house with CICD pipeline and so on. Um, and I could see network engineers being like, eh. so is there also like a, a cultural component to this? I don't know if cultural is the right word, but you know what I mean? Like if people are used to doing things a certain way and this is a different way of doing their, their job. I, I think it is because I mean, uh, I'm going to use, you know, the SDL, the software defined like SDLC, the software designed uh, life cycle. There's a lot of things that we can use networking. You know, I think David was a big part of this at AWS for doing this. So, um, if, so I'll let him speak to kind of like the more intricacies of this, but I think is, yes, let's use the best, you know, let's use what works in the software, you know, networking is closely aligned with the software uh, side. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it might be a different culture, a different mindset, but uh, you know, that's the beauty of technology is that we do are, we are growing and evolving. Yeah. I, I think some of it is also iteration. Um, uh, part of it is if you try and hit that end goal of everything is fully automated day one, you're going to have a lot of resistance from the engineering teams uh, because they haven't been brought along. So, you know, uh, there was definitely, uh, I've been involved in automation solutions in the past where the engineers were not exactly 100% on board, or it was uh, definitely a, a meme-ripe environment for outcomes. So, but, but the important part was we improved the network. So, for instance, we had a solution at one point in time uh, where... Uh, the set of steps that were happening on the network were broken up into these in, uh, tiny little individual chunks um, where the computer system did the bulk of it. They did the pre-check, they did the uh, deploy the configuration, it did the post-check, and generally the engineer was sitting there hitting yes to proceed for a while. And that sp spawned a whole set of memes of, you know, one engineer had his son do the configuration change because he just sat there and continued to be able to hit the yes. But the important part of that was it broke down the change into discrete chunks. It had validations around those changes. And at the time where we were on that curve, we need a human being to make sure that the configuration change was reaching the outcome that we wanted. And so the human was still in the loop as opposed to we had not yet built the solution around it to do all of that um, purely in software. And so the important part there was uh, it brought the engineers along. It was a step change as opposed to, nope, day one, the automation does the entirety of this. And and you can accomplish it that way, but you have to have full buy-in that the engineers see the, the efficiency and improvement versus bringing everybody along. And I'm, I'm a bit more in a bring everybody along sort of approach. But I guess what's in it for me as the engineer, if my job is now just hitting yes, uh, as the computer walks through the steps. Uh, well, hopefully you're not having to get up as much at 3 a.m. to go make those changes, and you're mm -hmm. spending more time in wake in traditional waking hours working on actual real engineering uh, problems. You're probably also then not getting paged at 5 a.m. when some subtle part of the change you meant to go do didn't quite work out the way you want, and East Coast is, I'm a West Coast guy, East Coast is suddenly coming on board and uh, you're, you're experiencing some problems. So so the reality is it lets you focus on your high value things, coming up with the designs, figuring out how to meet the customer requirements and less of the rote of, uh, you know, looking at the outputs of, of your routing protocols, looking at the current state of your network and allowing the tools to help expose uh, did the outcome, did the change that you just do meet the outcome you were looking for? 
Yeah, another piece of it from my perspective, true. I mean, I've written some complex changes that are many steps, and it's going to take me by hand to execute these at least an hour and a half or two hours if everything goes really well. Mm -hmm. And then you're sitting there at two in the morning, you're tired, you've been anxious about the change, you're sitting there, you're, you're, you know, worried about it, you're a little, you know, your brain's not 100% because it is two in the morning and it's cold in that data center as you're making those changes. And things inevitably don't go 100% right. And then you're like, oh, okay, okay, what is going on here? And you're trying to think, what is it I should be checking to figure out why this BGP adjacency isn't coming up or why traffic's not flowing through the firewall now or whatever it is. You're not at your best at that moment. If you've programmatically uh, put the automation in place to confirm, to put the change in place to begin with and then confirm that it's right because you pre-programmed all of the data gathering to pull back from the infrastructure and confirm that I had X number of adjacencies. I still have X number of adjacencies. I had X number of routes in the routing table and I still have X number of routes in the routing table or whatever the change you're expecting to see is in fact in place. That's what's in it for me. That's that's amazing. Um, mm -hmm. Again, that two in the morning change. As an engineer, you're. For, I've always, always found myself at my worst going, man, I hope the notes I wrote and all the spreadsheets and all these plain text files where I'm copy pasting into devices are just on it. And I didn't make any mistakes because if it didn't, I don't want to have to think about it. I really don't. Wired on caffeine and freaking out and your boss going, uh, how are we doing? We can have to roll this thing back. We've only got an hour left in the window. You know, having that conversation. That makes sense. Let's pause for a message from our sponsor, Interoptic. Interoptic is the optical transceiver and cable specialist that maximizes your IT savings while minimizing network failures. Interoptic provides high-performing optics at a fraction of the price of brand name optics. The Interoptic experts can help you spec the best optical transceivers and cables for your network environment. Interoptic optical transceivers are 100% guaranteed to be operationally equivalent with Cisco, Juniper, Extreme, Arista, Brocade, Palo Alto, and many other switches and routers. Due to Interoptic's deep optical transceiver technical experience, they can ensure that all messages, alerts, alarms, and threshold data are equivalent to OEM brands. Interoptic deploys rigorous 100% testing on their devices before they're shipped. Interoptic optical transceivers are built to the exact same quality standards as the OEMs and typically come from the exact same manufacturing lines. That's why insurance companies retailers, financial services, and federal and state government customers deploy optics and cables from Interoptic. You can purchase the same, if not better performing, optical transceivers tested and backed up by real engineers at a fraction of OEM costs. Find out more at interoptic.com slash packet pushers. That's interoptic.com slash packet pushers. And now back to the podcast. So is this framework then going to like, is one of the goals to help me sort of break down all those processes into sub processes and figure out where I can start doing the automation and uh, taking out that the human grunt work. Yeah, definitely. So I think one of, one of the goals uh, that I was striving for is, is, you know, build, detail all the processes, but also describe the processes and what the benefits are and, and what we can use. So when you look at this, you can go, okay, I have a pain point here. Okay. I can see this process. Okay. Uh, to, to build, I might need these process, these building blocks to help me build this out to make it reliable and not break down. But, you know, tr it's, it's to, you know, build that kind of, uh, you know, okay, I, I need this piece. I can go grab it and I can use it and, you know, understand it. So, so is this, is the framework we're talking about, like, it's a document, I'm going to read this thing. I mean, so I know we're abstracted. We're not prescriptive as far as tools and that kind of thing. 
but is there some amount of specificity we get into, like like the programming logic, or we need to be using version control, or you said you're not going to get into things like you know YAML versus XML versus JSON or those kind of things, but are there maybe templates in there? Um, you know, how how specific do you get? I guess. Yeah, I, I want to be specific enough that people aren't left um, wondering how would I ever build this. Um, so I want to be specific, like, okay, yes, it needs to be, you know, a repo, or here's how, here's ways to version it, and and stuff, or like, yes, use templates for for this, uh, for this, like, for instance, a, a workflow, which is a series of steps and logics. Like, okay, you might want to template this, or here's how you could do logic in a programming language, um, and like validation checks. I I was going to expand, like, how do you write decent validation checks? How do you make them simplistic and, and have wide coverage? Um, so there definitely needs to be some, you know, some detail, some lower level detail in there without, you know, me going, um, use, use Python, use Go, and here's the, here's the the thing, but going, yes, here's a lot, here's a basic programming logic step that you can use to, to use, uh, to deliver that, uh, that piece. So it needs that depth. Yeah. I think it also offers up opportunities for people to bring best common practices in. Like, you know, uh, part of it is you should shift the traffic off of the device before you perform an operation on it. So that's a fairly open term. Some people might say, okay, I'm just going to shut routing protocol off on things because that will cause a shift because my network is designed to be redundant and I can yank any cable anywhere and it will just work. That's definitely an approach. You know, uh, another approach is to present the... Um, uh, let's, you know, leverage our, our routing protocols to basically make that node not a preferred way for anything to go through. How do you do that? How do you rationalize that? And so that opens up areas for people to to put in their best practices so that can be shared um, and make it a little more specific and also show that this is how, um, uh, you know, it, it's it's not as hard as you may think, or it may not be as many steps as you may think. So then if I'm translating the framework document into my own, I'm looking at best common practices and so on. It looks like I'm going to be more or less creating the specific steps that are going to map my automation practice to the framework by hand. There's not going to be a lot of, I would describe it as pre-existing artifacts. There's not going to be like, there's not a collection of Jinja templates in there for me to use necessarily. Um. Not not today. I, I I can't I can't speak for what tomorrow brings, but you know there there could be there there definitely could be if someone's willing to to describe that. You know that's not going to bar any NDAs or any and stuff like that. If they want to build that and add it, uh, great. I think that's the the beauty of of you know the NAF uh, community in, in general is they can take that and and here's here's how I implemented it in detail. Here's all the language and everything like that uh, that I that I did. Um, that's not going to be the you know the today goal of that, but that could be a possibility. No, this is a guideline document, is how I'm beginning to think of it as you're describing it to me, right? This is like I don't even know where to start. I can read this thing and I can walk away and go, okay, okay, I know how to start now. I know how to get going. I know the I know the goal where I'm headed to, and maybe I'm not going to build it all at once, but I've got this framework that I know this is how I want to. It's it's a guideline on network operations, really, how I do network operations. It's going to be a way that guides my thinking, how I approach this, how I how I think about it. That's quite different from the the artisanal by hand approach. Yeah, definitely. I, I think if I had a, to, to summarize the absolute premise is uh, it's a roadmap that allows you to work backwards. Uh, in today's in today's 
uh, online, there's there's not there's none of that uh, today. There's no like documentation to go end to end. So if I build a piece, I am now going to fall into pitfalls. I'm going to have pain points. So uh, my goal with this document is a way to work backwards, so I can so people can avoid that. Um, you know, leverage my you know my experience and others' experience to grow this into a document that kind of uh, gives people uh, the right starts. Um, rather than just grabbing a tool off the shelf and then trying to make that work for them. Is there a uh, process or a task that you think might be ideal for an organization that's coming to this framework for the first time and trying to implement automation uh, globally throughout the network uh, to, to start with, like a, a task or, or function that this could is a good starting point? Yeah, I, I think if, if I would have narrowed down to the kind of three core low hanging fruits thing would be definitely validation um, to remove that from humans. The, like we as, uh, stated earlier, the amount of metrics today in, in networks, um, humans can't can't validate that in their head. So validation. Um, validation then, meaning a change we made actually took place and is having the outcome we wanted. Uh, yeah, not just the outcome, but that's not impacting the rest of the network too as well. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So a lot of validation is kind of static saying, yes, this VLAN did exist. Uh, I want to bring that to you. Not only did the VLAN did exist, the, the change that it didn't break the rest of the network. We're not creating a routing loop somewhere or services aren't <laughs> impacted. So kind of full, but like full, uh, a holistic validation process, I guess, a system-wide uh, validation process. Um, like the the, the drain or shift traffic away um, because um, having that automated makes it, you know, I'm kind of trying to double up between deployment and operations. So it's like, it's extendable to, to multiple teams. So it gives you the best value for your company's buck, basically for resources. So, you know, how many times, you know, operations just has to drain traffic away from a specific function or device to solve an issue and deployment, it, it, it eases those two things, eases a lot for that. And then if a kind of a deployment thing is just how do we do easy changes that may not require a lot of complicated logic and then build from there probably my three main kind of keystones for this. So what you say about the draining, the, uh, that, that whole thing, it's such a common thing. It's the first thing you got to do. I'm running, you know, parallel infrastructure that it's active, active. Okay. We're going to swing it all. To, we're all going this way. And then we got to make sure this is drained or load balancing is this pool member no longer accepting traffic so we can do maintenance on it, whatever it might be. And it's so tedious, just <laughs> waiting and waiting, please stop sending traffic this way so I can do my maintenance. No, we still got a bunch of persistent connections stuck through this box. When is it going to end? Just to automate that. So now, you know, okay, it's been drained. You can just kind of see it happening without manually going in checking and looking at uh, Netstat or whatever it is you're looking at to validate where you are, where you need to be. That's a great thing. Uh, okay. I got a loaded question for you here. Um, one that people have heard me talk about this topic before are going to be go, Banks, would you let it go? But here's the question. Will networkers need to re-architect their networks to use this framework? No. Um, half no. So I think what will happen is that the mindsets will change and a lot of networks become more, more simple. Uh, in the process, because uh, uh, if you're building a, a, a network by hand, you can add a bunch of crazy features and you can kind of do that. And the processes can be kind of uh, unwieldy, but it kind of works. You know, it might take an extra 30 minutes, but it kind of works. Um, the framework is supposed to be adaptable and flexible that it doesn't, you know, it's going to be harder to implement on complex networks. Um, but after you build it and you kind of see this lifecycle process from automation happen, you realize, oh, if I did it this way, it's going to be a lot easier to automate. And they kind of, it turns out then that if it's easier to automate, it's easy, it was easier to operate, it's easier to scale and deploy anyways. 
I guess I'll throw out there a more strong yes. And, and I'll say yes for exactly the, the reason Ryan is <laughs> highlighting. Uh, if and only if, because if you look at uh, traffic shifting off a device, it will remove, the, like, like just the, I want to get everything to move away from this device so I can operate on it. It will get away from, oh, static routes are okay to keep in your network. Oh, um, you know, mm. active standby mm. is a safe way to operate my network as opposed to active, active. Like, it will teach you, it, you, you will see the benefits of other approaches. And so fundamentally, how could it not make networks change how they approach things. I'm sure there will be outliers who will be stuck with the ways that they they have always loved to do things, but you know, most organizations will see the benefits of of moving in a in a, in a more common direction. But going back David to your initial issue around business logic which leads to, you know, complexity and nerd knobbing and stuff, does that have an impact on this framework because in the end the business logic is going to sort of drive the way things have to be done? Um, it definitely can, but it may also highlight the extraordinarily strong conversations you have to have, which is, I went to try and take everything off this device, and because we're doing why, I couldn't. And so I knocked out the accounting team because of this. And so, you know, that's, that is definitely not a spot that I think most engineers would want to get stuck into. And right. that's an indelicate conversation to have to go have. And so... Um, it will, you will always have exceptions in the network. You always have different approaches to how solving it, but some of the edge business rules on, I do this because, you know, this, this makes the network more efficient can start getting removed because you can't actually reach the outcome you want, which is I want to do maintenance and not break other people while I'm doing maintenance on this device. And is there room in this framework or part of this framework is also talking to business folks, if you are trying to automate uh, a portion of the network that has a very specific business function to bring them in, do they have a role here or is that we don't need to go there? I think it's a little out scope of the framework only because that kind of depends, like it, it should be, it should be, you know, when you're, when you're doing design changes and stuff like that, you should have the stakeholders involved, the appropriate stakeholders involved to make that decision making. Mm -hmm. Um I, I don't think it's in this framework to dictate how that's done or yes, do this. But I think, you know, it is kind of a critical kind of business aspect for, for teams to make sure that, you know, all the key players are are, are there and, and, you know, are heard and understood. And are you aiming this framework at a particular like seniority level? Is this something that a junior network engineer can bring in and advocate for? Or is it something that sort of happens at the architect or designer level and then, you know, flows downward? So I'm not going to try and do an AWS plug, uh, but the one great thing about AWS is that there was no like seniority level there. Like, uh, you know, I came in as a, you know, a junior engineer and I could share my ideas. So I think the, so my abstract into that is yes, definitely junior engineers can take this and, and, you know, and, and detail it. Um, the one caveat is make sure you bring metrics, uh, make sure you support this with data uh, to make sure that you can measure it against how you're doing and then how, how well it, it performs. But yeah, definitely. I don't think there's any seniority aspect that's required for this. Yeah. I, I would second that. I think it's very um, uh, company or location specific. There are definitely some environments where it would not be looked positively on, but ones that do allow uh, you know, the more junior engineers to come up with ideas and and have the measures to go and show, um, you know, this can definitely help regardless of what seniority it comes in at. So it'll be very specific. 
I think I know the answer to this question that I'm going to ask based on what we've been talking about, but I'm going to throw it out there anyways. It's interesting. Um, would, would a framework like this be suitable for a full-blown network automation product to be built around it? Hey, we built this product and it's based, you know, in part on, you know, this, this generally accepted framework. Uh, absolutely. I, I think it'd be super beneficial to, to both sides of the story. I think, um, I'm only building the framework because there isn't an available easy framework that I that I understand and mesh with out there. Um, I you know if, if someone else built it, I I'd probably pay the price for that because um, uh, it saves resources and such. So I definitely see that being a definite avenue for for people that want to productize this and and, and sell this. And also, I think at the other side, it goes yes. I understand the framework. I understand what you're selling. Now I can see the entire picture rather than you're selling this piece. What about that piece? I don't quite understand. Oh, I bought it and it's not working for this piece. I think it kind of clarifies pictures on both sides. Yeah, I, I guess I would throw out a second a second yes on that in that, um, you know, having seen how an environment like AWS operates where there are a lot of teams able to make extraordinarily independent decisions to solve the problems that we have. Some of the framework we're talking about here was modeled at least three separate times inside of AWS, all solved in different ways because there were the, the framework was consistent, but the maturity of the tooling that we had in that space for the, the separate teams was very different. Um, and so they all ended up kind of ending up in the same spot eventually. They just took slightly different paths. And so there were te technically actually parallel implementations. So yes, multiple organizations could make frameworks, make solutions that are built around this framework. So that's, okay, that's actually not quite where I thought you guys were going to go. Since the framework is not prescriptive, since the framework does not tell you, use this tool, do, do this, your network must be sorted in such a way, although naturally your network may be more simplified so that it's easier to use the framework. I figured it'd be too open to be able to really get a product that's built around it. But but I, I see where you're going now. You, if you do use this, your network's going to kind of end up in the same place. Um, as tooling evolved, David, you said everyone kind of ended up in the same place over time. And so, yeah, that could lend itself to a vendor who wants to build a product around the framework going, yeah, we uh, we have a product that that matches this this workflow, this life cycle, and it brings the tooling together to accomplish that. I, I think, Ethan, you also underestimate the creativity of vendor marketing departments to say they align with the framework. <laughs> I think we all underestimate marketing. <laughs> uh, they are definitely the smartest people in the room. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say is, you know, the, trying to be this you know the framework's kind of more declarative uh, actually kind of like imperative or or pieces can be built by you know a productized solution or in-house and stuff and as long as the declarative kind of approaches align i i think that will work i think you know like yes we do support the drain in this manner you know how the logic is is done and stuff i, I think is you know can be abstracted away and and still still work so does this framework actually exist? Are you working on a, a document right now, or is this just like we're in the idea phase, throwing it around and kicking the tires? Um, the, the framework actually exists. It, it, it's, um, you know, in a couple of weeks, I'll have more more time to really kind of flesh it out. And, you know, I thought about it, you know, put some notes in and stuff like that. But I think uh, mm -hmm. I've got a good way to kind of get at least to, you know, people can view it, people can edit and comment on it today. But, I, you know, in, in a few weeks, I, I think it'll really uh, kind of be even more fleshed out. So are you looking for for help on it? Are you looking for co collaboration, open source style, or? 
I'm going to be, you know, completely self-centered and I'm looking for collaboration because I'm definitely not the smartest person in the world. And I, and I believe that multiple minds are better than one. So I want to find out the solution myself. And, and so if I can get more people, uh, you know, interested in, in kind of building this uh, and adding to it and iterating through it, I, I think, you know, it's, it serves my purpose. So yeah, de definitely. Now, I'm in the network automation uh, forum Slack, uh, and I know that you've had some discussions in there about it. Is that the best place to go to connect with you and have chats about network automation framework? Yeah, I think the Slack and I think, you know, on the on the on the dock itself, you, either are, are both fine places for it. OK, you, there, so there's a dock where I can like a Google Doc. I can go yeah. in and uh, there's, make yeah, notes there's a Google Doc for sure. Yeah. OK, well, you've got to give us the link for that and we can maybe we can share it in the show notes. Is that OK or is that going to be too yeah, that's, open? That's totally fine. Yeah, I, I, I do not care about openness. Go for it. Like, yeah, okay. people can slaughter it online. I am totally happy with that. <laughs> okay. You asked for it. I am no yeah. stranger to my ideas and designs getting slaughtered. So that's that's OK. <laughs> All right. Well, Ryan, uh, so we've said the network automation forum, Slack group is a good place to get in touch with it. Anywhere else, LinkedIn, uh, other ways people can get in touch with you? LinkedIn, pretty much to see it the other way. I mean, feel free to you know send me a message or connect. And then David, thanks once again for your contributions and insights here. It, it seems like now we got to get, you've been like the additional guest that's come on for a couple of shows. Now we got to get, just talk to David at some point and uh, glean from your experience. But how do people get in touch with you, David? Uh, I am definitely on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also on the automation uh, framework Slack. Uh, so uh, yes, either of those paths are, are totally good way to get a hold of me. Get on the network automation forum Slack. That's networkautomation.forum. And if you click around, you'll find it uh, pretty easily. You can get over to that Slack group. There's, uh, there's a few hundred people in there, at least at this point, having all kinds of conversations. And it's uh, welcoming for whatever level of experience you've got as far as network automation goes. There's a birds of a feather group, a bop for, for getting started. So if you're truly new to this and you're looking for recommendations of books and courses and just trying to get your head around network automation in general. There's been some discussions in there for people that are truly coming in at the ground level. So don't be intimidated like, oh, I'm not an automation expert. I'm not going to jump in there. Everyone will you know, call me dumb. No, it's designed for everyone to get going uh, with network automation. So again, networkautomation.forum. And, uh, and of course, Network Automation Forum has a couple of events. The AutoCon series, AutoCon Zero was in November 2023 in the US. There's going to be AutoCon One happening in May 2024 in Europe. Uh, as we're recording this, details are TBD, but uh, coming very soon. And then another one, AutoCon Two, will be happening again in November uh, 2024. So networkautomation.forum to find all that stuff. Packet Pusher is the official media partner of the Network Automation Forum and the AutoCon events. So that's why we're so enthusiastic and uh, about promoting those events. The first one was great. We're really looking forward to the additional autocons that are coming up in 2024. My thanks to David and Ryan for sharing their perspectives on heavy networking today. And I've been your host, Ethan Banks, along with Drew Conray-Murray. You can connect with us on LinkedIn. You're 100% welcome to send me messages about the show. Uh, or you could DM me on the Packet Pushers community Slack group. That's uh, packetpushers.net slash community to sign up for the Slack group there. And uh, if heavy networking is the only podcast you listen to from the Packet Pushers, you, you really are missing out. We have several other shows, including Network Automation Nerds with Eric Chow. And if you're like, oh, I already subscribed to that one. He's on Packet Pushers now. Yes, Eric has joined us. He has joined the Packet Pushers. And then uh, Drew is with JJ Manel on Packet Protector, a brand new network security podcast. And then, of course, there's Day 2 Cloud with Ned Bellavance and Kyler Middleton, Heavy Wireless with Keith Parsons, and, and several more. These podcasts, along with our YouTube channel, blogs, and newsletters are all free content 
created for your professional career development. Find it all at packetpushers.net. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.